This is Mike Epstein, and welcome back to Speaking of the Arts. Today we pick up on our Artists in Quarantine mini-series, and we feature the pianist, composer, and activist Fred Hirsch. Our conversation covered a lot of great things that Fred is up to right now, including his daily live-streamed concerts, his new album with Esperanza Spalding, his documentary called The Ballad of Fred Hirsch, which is available on YouTube, his production of My Coma Dreams, his steady release of new singles on Spotify, and how Fred approaches meditation and some of the benefits he receives from the practice. I'm always inspired after speaking with Fred, and I hope everyone listening enjoys my conversation with Fred as much as I did. Please stay safe and take care. Live music will return. Fred, welcome back to the show. You get to be the first guest with the new format. we are slow to the game because people have been doing uh, interviews with Zoom for years now to get audio and visual. And so um, thanks to quarantine, we're making the great shift. So I thank you for being the first guest for this. Yeah, I think streaming is our life for a while. It is, it is absolutely our life for a while. And that's a great place to start our conversation. I'd love to hear have you talk about the show you've been doing each day or you had been doing each day during quarantine, and what are some of the things, I actually have a couple of questions for you about that, but maybe to start, um, what has this process been like for you and what have you learned from doing it each day? Well, um, here's sort of the evolution. Uh, around mid-March, uh, when New York City uh, went under, uh, uh, when everybody had orders to stay in, uh, my partner Scott and I, we have this house where I'm talking from now in, in uh, Pennsylvania, out in the woods. Uh, and for a few days, uh, he was very reluctant to come out here. Just, you know, just feeling like, oh, we need to be near medical facilities. And then, of course, we realized that being near a hospital in New York is not really the best place to be. So we came out here. And once we got here, we're staying here. And it, it's beautiful. It's spring. There are birds. There are trees. Um, uh, my solution to the current situation is not to read the news. I've not read the newspaper or NPR or anything in well over a month, and uh, that allows me to kind of focus on music and enjoying where we are and taking walks. Um, anyway, the 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 Sunday that we got out here. I started to think about, you know, what can I do? Um, you know, music has power. Uh, uh, I can't play for people uh, in the Village Vanguard or in a concert. So on that, that next Monday, I just decided to do a live stream uh, concert. And uh, originally it was just going to be one tune. And so I, uh, a friend of mine, close friend, had died from COVID that day. So I talked about him and showed his picture and played a song uh, in his memory. My partner, Scott, who was behind the camera after it was done, he said, play more, you know? Uh, so I played three songs and about 15,000 people tuned in, which is pretty cool. Wow. And then I started to think about it and I just decided at that moment that I was going to do what I called the tune of the day. So every day at one o'clock, seven days a week at first, 
I would just turn on my iPhone, play a tune and throw it out there. Just whatever I felt like playing on the given day. Uh, and I did that for about six weeks. Uh, and I got the most beautiful comments from people. I think that was the best part of it. People just writing in saying that, you know, made their day a little better. Uh, the the uh, little mini concerts were archived. They could watch them later in the day. I miss playing with other musicians, uh, miss hugging my friends, but uh, this is where we are for now. What have you noticed about your playing from having to perform this way for the last two months now? Or have you, has it changed at all? Um, well, I'm fortunate in that I play the piano. Uh, you know, if I played a saxophone or I sang, it would be a little harder because I would probably need people to play with. Uh, people who play instruments with just one melody note. Um, there are platforms where you can kind of play with other people. Uh, there's one called a cappella, where I could say record a piano track, send it to Kurt Elling, he could put a vocal on it, and it would sort of look like we're playing together, but we're not actually. Right. Uh, right now, the, the latency uh, issue with uh, the way that the internet works, uh, it's not, I don't know if they've totally solved it unless you have really, really great internet or ethernet cables or something special on both ends right. that you can actually play live with people. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm getting back into classical music, playing that a lot much more uh, than I was doing before, just trying to keep my skills up. Uh, actually having to do a little mini concert every week is good motivation for me to maybe learn some new tunes or to continue to write. Um, I had hoped to make a new record this month, but obviously that's not happening. <clears throat> so this is a this is a creative outlet for me, but I do miss the inspiration of playing with other people. I mean, that's why I started playing jazz in the first place was to was to play with uh, other people, and unfortunately, that's not happening right now. What are you hearing from some of your other musician friends and peers? How are they doing? Um, well, you know, I think most of my freelance artist friends, not just musicians, um, I mean, everybody is very, very worried. Um, uh, even if you get unemployment, it probably, it may not cover all your bills. It's only going to last for six months. Um, I think unless you have a full-time teaching job somewhere, it's a possibility in the fall that, um, adjunct teaching positions will be cut, especially in the arts. I mean, you can't really get a theater degree online or jazz, a jazz music degree or play in a chamber orchestra online. You just can't do it. <clears throat> so it's a question of how many students will return in the fall. Uh, schools are not gonna get dorm fees. You know, it's gonna be really, really tough on, on uh, higher education, I think across the board, unless you're Harvard or something with just a whopping endowment and you can weather the storm. But I think a lot of my artist friends, especially the ones, the jazz musicians who are really dependent on summer tours, festivals in Europe, festivals in the US, those are all gone. So, um, I mean, we are fortunate. My partner has a very good job and uh, we have good health insurance and you know we have some money put away. 
um, and we're in a very beautiful place. But my heart goes out to so many artists, uh, especially emerging artists, you know, who are just starting to get some traction or just coming out of music schools. And now they can't play. So, um, you know, we're, we're in, we're in a global situation of impermanence and unfortunately nobody can give us a timeline. I think that's the hardest thing about this is just not having a timeline. You know, that's definitely one of the harder things about it. And to your point about colleges with enrollment being down, those budgets being so affected because of that and how that translates to music faculty and music programs. And of course the performing arts, which are largely reliant on their connection to colleges and universities. That's, a, 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 I hate to say it, but just a picture that's becoming a little bit darker each day as people start to understand what the ramifications of this all is. And, you know, it's, um, it's, also, it's also difficult because there's no one size fits all answer to any of this and it depends who you're talking to it depends where they're located last week wisconsin decided to open bars again does that mean they're going to open theaters and and clubs i mean maybe um i don't know but that's also just one state so then then we get into the question of how do you even begin to produce a tour if only two states are open but those three states around it are actually the bigger opportunities but they're closed right and, and for me, you know, I'm 65. I have some serious health conditions. It's a question of whether or not I'm going to feel comfortable getting on an airplane. Right. You know, I, I, I've always been through the health challenges in my life, which have been considerable. I've always been one of those, the show goes on. Um, I can count on two hands the number of gigs that I've ever canceled. Um, but uh, I have to really think about my health and whether or not it's worth it to me uh, to, to go through, I mean, air travel, even in the best of times is stressful. Mm -hmm. Go through the stress of travel at this time with so many unknowns. Um, yeah, I don't, you know, it's just gonna, I just think it's gonna be a while. And uh, <clears throat> uh, I think independent music venues, as we discussed, are really, going to be hurt super hard but i think arts budgets are going to be cut um uh in universities and colleges probably um they're also going to be a lot of musicians competing for the same gigs yeah you know, so that's going to be another problem too you know uh, uh it's a it's a very crowded field right now across the performing arts so a lot of performers who are very talented and deserving and all that, you know, it's, it's sort of the luck of the draw right now. Uh, but I especially feel harder for the youngsters. I mean, <clears throat> I'm going to be 65. You know, if I went into forced retirement, which I hope doesn't happen, you know, I can look back on a career where I've more than checked every box that I've ever dreamed of checking. Uh, uh, as a collaborator, as a musician, as a composer, as a jazz pianist. Uh, I would hate for it to happen, but, um, you know, it, it's something that's, that kind of could happen, you know? So uh, uh, I know that the Village Vanguard is going to start streaming, I believe. 
in the from the club, from the club at the end of May. Um, I have a week there in July, uh, and everything being equal, uh, I'm going to try to to uh, do a stream from there. Uh, and they're doing instead of a full week, they're doing a Saturday night show at 7:30, and then a Sunday afternoon show, I think, at four, which will be very Europe friendly. And right. the 7.30 will be California and Asia friendly. Do you think going forward, you will continue to do this even when live uh, uh, performance is an option again? Um, <clears throat> that's a good question. I haven't really thought that far. Um, uh, even before this, I was doing occasional Facebook lives uh, from my uh, loft in, in New York City, uh, my colleague, Jesse Markowitz, who manages my Facebook fan page, he would come over, set up his phone. Uh, I would play a little bit and he would take live questions, question and answers from fans, musicians, pianists, whoever. Um, and sometimes we would do that in advance of a gig or a tour just to kind of get a little buzz going on Facebook. Uh, so I'm sure I'm going to do pop-up things just because I think it's a nice way to connect with people. This is one thing I've been thinking about a lot is when we come out of this to the new normal, because it's not going to be the old normal, the question is, what, do you, what can people, you, I mean, you asked the question at the top, you said, what can I do from here, from my home in Pennsylvania, right? So the question is, what new capabilities can you as an artist develop that you then want to take forward with you? Um, into this new future. So I think, you know, it's interesting because not all artists are doing what you're doing. Um, some just, maybe it's more in their nature, they're kind of curled in a fetal position waiting for this to be over. But I think the ones such as yourself who are experimenting, who are taking advantage of whatever they can do um, to connect with their fans are going to come out stronger. And, um, you know, this is something that I think about internally too. It's like, hey, I'm a booking agent. I can't book shows right now. What, what can I be doing right now to support my artists, to support the promoters I work with? Um, and, and then the, to take that a little further, my point is anything I'm doing that seems to be resonating, is that something we carry forward with us? And is that gonna be part of this sort of new operating system, if you will? <laughs> yeah, that I don't know. <clears throat> I think I was very early on to do these live things and through the amazing uh, work of uh, my longtime publicist, Ann Braithwaite, um, I, I got featured in the Wall Street Journal. I got a lot of, of buzz for it. One, one of the things that often comes up when, when you and I talk, Fred, is, is meditation. And I just want to put it out there that you were the first to recommend to me to read the book, Wherever You Go, There You Are, which is... I've subsequently read a few times now. And I, as I was thinking about our conversation today, I, I thought I should bring this up because I'm curious, how has meditation, um, how have you been using meditation during this time? And has it helped your playing? Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, <clears throat> well, this is something that I've been practicing for uh, 20 years. Uh, I started, uh, I went to my first retreat uh, up in Barrie, Massachusetts at the Insight Meditation Society in 2000. Um, and my practice for many, many, many years 
was based on what we call mindfulness meditation, which is certainly wherever you go, there you are. It's about being present. <clears throat> and also the Vipassana tradition, which is, it's not just about being present, but you know, if something comes up, you kind of investigate it, hopefully leading to some insights. Um, in the last two years, my practice has shifted uh, to more of a, um, a kind of a, a, a constant awareness practice, uh, mostly as taught by a teacher from Burma named Sayadaw Tejaniya. Uh, and one of his uh, students uh, who I've sat retreats with named Alexis Santos uh, is carrying on that tradition. And <clears throat> so Alexis does online retreats. So <clears throat> I've done a four day retreat, like from a Thursday night to Sunday night, <clears throat> where he will talk and we'll meditate together four times a day. And then during that time, I try not to use my computer. Um, I can make a film phone call to a friend. Uh, but in the past where I would have to book a week out of my calendar, eight months in advance, drive to Massachusetts, all that. Now I do these online retreats. <clears throat> you do those, do you do those Facebook? Is it Zoom? No, they use, they use a couple platforms. Right now they're using one called Union, and they've also used a platform called Crowdcast, both okay. of which are good. I think Union is a little better. That's what they seem to be doing. Um, but since you asked, this past weekend, I sat a four-day meta retreat. And meta translates to loving kindness. So uh, if I was doing meta for myself, I would repeat phrases, you know, uh, uh, may I be safe. And you're doing this while you're actually traditionally meditating or it's a yeah, mindset? You're sitting and silently repeating phrases. Okay. May I be safe? May I be joyful? Uh, may I live with ease? Phrases like that. You, you pick three or four phrases. And it sounds kind of stupid uh, on its face, but it's actually one of the foundations of Buddhist practice. And in these times, um, you know, having compassion for yourself uh, is very healthy. And the idea is you also radiate it out. So I would, I would uh, give loving kindness to myself. And then the traditional way of doing it is the next person is a benefactor. Could be a meditation teacher. Some people, it was their grandfather, somebody that really helped you. And then the next one, the next, it's like a concentric circle. The next one would be uh, uh, a dear friend. And then after that, a neutral person. Like I use my mailman in New York, who I don't, I don't even know his name, but I've seen him for years. And then you go to a difficult person. And then you go to wishing well for all living beings, animal, human, seen, unseen. And <clears throat> like I say, it, it could come out, it, it kind of, my view of it before this weekend was that it's kind of corny and dumb and dumb, but it's actually really changed the way that I am I am practicing.
So for the next month, I'm doing the experiment <clears throat> of just doing this meta meditation and just seeing what it, what it does for me. And how, how long a session do you do this for? Like when you sit down to do this, how long does that last? Well, um, my routine for the last many, many years, except for I've been sick, is I get up, uh, I have to have espresso in the morning, at least one, maybe two. Um, and then I go to my cushion and I don't negotiate. I don't say, I don't feel like it. You know, I just do it. It's like brushing your teeth. Uh, and for, uh, some people call it mental floss, you know, it's just something you do. And so I sit between 30, anywhere between 30 and 45 minutes, depending on what my schedule is or how late I get up or how much time I think I need before I have to do something. Um, and uh, sometimes I'll sit again before I go to sleep or late in the afternoon. Um, but at various points in my day, I'll just recite. Now I'm just kind of hearing those phrases, uh, just like uh, you in uh, wherever you go, there you are. It encourages you to like, just, okay, even for a second, like be aware, like, where is your foot right now? You know, and how are you holding your hands? And uh, are you already thinking about the next thing you're doing? Um, it's, it's a fascinating practice. And honestly, if more people did this, uh, I think the world would be such a better place. I agree with you. And I'm gonna, I want to try this. I'm, I'm so glad you shared this with me, this idea of saying these little statements over and over again, because it's very, it forces you to be intentional. And the other thing is, one of my mentors in business once said, your eyes only see and your ears only hear what your brain is looking for. And mm -hmm. if you are doing a practice like you're describing, you're priming your eyes to only see and your ears to only hear those things that you're saying. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's really powerful. So. You know, I, I like that connection. I, I, I've got to try that. And I can see how that would permeate through all aspects of your life each day just by doing that. I can totally get that. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's a very kind of softening practice. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, when we, when we get off, I can share uh, some more things about that. But, um, you know, for most people, even if you get up, and you're just, you know, like, like Sayadaw says, okay, so you're brushing your teeth. What is your left hand doing? Just that moment of, you know, are you really brushing your teeth? Are you thinking about checking your email or the conference call that you have? Right. You know, really being whatever it is, just kind of being there with it. Right. And, uh, not dwelling in past or, you know, getting too wrapped up in to do's. Um, sure. that's, so that's a, it's a, it's a really great resource. And, yeah. Uh, I have to say, I wish as a music student, this was taught like in, in retrospect to me, it feels it should have been just as important as knowing the church modes uh, to have this practice alongside your instrument practice. Right. I, I, maybe there's some music schools doing it now. I'm sure there are, but I wish I had that. Well, when I started sitting formal meditation, I realized 
that I've been meditating my entire life, but doing it on a piano bench while I'm playing. Yeah. You know, because I get into a zone that's a special zone. Yeah. I I close my eyes when I play. Excuse me. And, And so sitting on a cushion was not, it was just, I wasn't being active, but it wasn't that far off. Um, uh, so I think it's, I think it's definitely a value. Uh, I use a lot of tennis uh, analogies when I teach. <clears throat> uh, tennis is very improvisatory. All you control is the serve. Um, and then everything is reactive. So for a jazz musician, you present the theme and then whatever happens, happens, you're reacting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but tennis players, and I'm a big student of the sport, they talk about the times when they're in the zone and they say the tennis ball is this big. They all say the same thing, that the ball seems that big wow. and that they can't do anything wrong. It's just- They're so present. They're so present, they're so in the flow, everything is taken over. <clears throat> and that's why I release pretty much only live recordings now because <clears throat> that's when I'm most apt to be in that zone when I'm performing without thinking about the, the microphones, being having headphones, having to uh, get it perfectly. You know, you just, there you are and you're in the zone and thank God they're recording it, you know. Uh, that makes total sense. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, sure. Well, speaking of live recordings, I'd love to have you talk a little bit about what's coming up for you and Esperanza Spalding and to talk about, I know you have a long history with her, um, maybe talk about the recording itself, how that came together, where mm-hmm. it happened. And I will just say for anybody who's listening or watching to this, um, I've had the sheer pleasure of getting to hear a little bit of it and it's truly something special. And as I think about what we've talked about on our conversation so far, it, some of the things I'm hearing in this recording actually make a little more sense because of me having a better understanding of how you're approaching playing and improvising with people. So that's really exciting. Uh, yeah, I, I, I met uh, her, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago. Um, <clears throat> uh, of course, I was aware of her and, and I noticed that she, she came by quite often to hear me at the Vanguard. And, um, and she's a fairly, fairly modest person for her level of uh, intelligence and reputation and general awesomeness. You know, she would come to the club without her signature afro. You know, she ever t- hair in a kind of in a ha- handkerchief or something. Very just very modest. And one night she came up to me. And she said, "Hi, I'm Esperanza." I said, "Well, yeah, I know." And um, <clears throat> for the last, well, it would be actually this week. Um, it would be my fifteenth week of. Uh, my invitation series at the Jazz Standard uh, in New York, uh, where I do mostly duos, six nights a week, six different people. So I asked her, I said, would you want to come play with me? She said, yes. And so the way that I worked the set, uh, we played on the weekend, two nights on the weekend. Uh, Esperanza and I would start the set. She would just sing without her bass, and we'd play a couple tunes, piano and voice. Then she'd pick up the bass. Uh, Richie Barche, a wonderful young drummer, would come out and join us. And the rest of the set, she'd play bass in a trio. 
sometimes singing, sometimes just playing. And uh, we did it a couple of times. And the second time we did a Sunday night and she said, I just want to sing. I said, that's fine. So we did a couple of sets and it was pretty electric actually. I mean, it was the Sunday night of the week. I was firing on all cylinders. She's super inspiring to play with. She hears absolutely everything. I mean, her ears are just incredible. So I had a week uh, a year and a half ago at the Village Vanguard uh, that I didn't know what to do with. And so I invited Anat Cohen to play Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Uh, she and I also met on my duo series at Jazz Standard. We have subsequently made a live album and toured together. She's a great clarinetist and a super lovely human being. And then I asked Esperanza if she would do Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and could we record it? Uh, she said yes. Uh, by the time I got to those dates, the 19, 18th, 19th, 20th, and 21st of October, 2018, I was suffering from a vascular necrosis uh, and I needed to have my left hip replaced. So we finished on Sunday night, which happened to be my birthday, my 63rd birthday. The next morning at 6 a.m., I was at the hospital having my hip replaced. So there was a lot of drama. Uh, I was, you know, just on the crutches, getting down the steps to the Village Vanguard was drama. Getting onto the stage was drama. She was going through a lot of difficulty in her personal life. It was really intense. Anyway, we recorded three nights and it was just magic. Place was packed. Uh, just, it was such a high level. Uh, and I don't, you know, often talk about my own playing, but honestly, on that recording, I'm playing about as well as I can play. And she is singing out of her mind. And, um, of course, I wanted to release it uh, because I thought, wow, we could really do some great gigs. It would be super fun. Uh, but Esperanza had a kind of more pop album coming out and she was on a very long touring cycle with that album and couldn't find a window to put it out. And about four weeks ago, I got a text from her saying, we need to put this out. People need to hear this music and we need to raise some money for musicians. <clears throat> so, uh, after a lot of looking around, uh, thinking about it, we decided to put it out for one month only, for the month of June. It'll come out a week from Friday. It'll be available for one month on the Bandcamp platform. And everything, uh, every bit of money that's raised will go to the Jazz Foundation of America. <clears throat> then, uh, the, and we're releasing only five songs and we're calling it a rough mix EP. So nothing edited, nothing changed from the live mix recording, very unvarnished, here it is. And then the plan is uh, within the next year or two, we're going to put the entire album out uh, as a two disc vinyl. And uh, the wonderful writer Zadie Smith uh, came to one of our shows. Uh, she's a big jazz fan. And uh, I was reading a book of Zadie Smith's short stories and the fourth one in the book is called Words and Music. And the first paragraph is about me and Esperanza at the Village Vanguard. So I wrote to Zadie Smith and I said, 
gee, when we put this thing out for real, will you write liner notes? Will you write some words? I got an email back from her. I'm not kidding you. Within five minutes, she said, absolutely, yes. So um, it's really just kind of come together in such an organic way. And everybody has donated their time and talent. Uh, the mastering engineer, graphic design, Anne Braithwaite is doing the publicity, our press release writer, you know, everybody has donated their time for this project. And I think that we're going to raise some significant money. I mean, she has half a million Facebook followers. Um, so I got to think we're going to do pretty well. And it's a very good organization. The application process is super easy. They call people back, they talk to them. Uh, and a lot of the organizations that have been doing musicians relief during this time, they've honestly run out of money. Yeah. And either that or the applications are so difficult that, you know, you have to prove this, that, and the other. And, you know, it's, we wanted something that'd be easy that would go right to the people that need it. So. That's what we've done, and, and I'm just super excited about it. It's really, uh, I'm just so happy that people will get to hear this. Oh, me too. And just so people are clear, we're, in the, we're recording this. It's roughly the middle or second half of um, May. Say that again. They'll be able to hear this on Bandcamp in June? Yeah, it, it will be released on Bandcamp uh, May 29th, which is a week from Friday. And then it will uh, be in existence until June 30th. Okay. Um, and just to say that Bandcamp has a policy that you can stream it before you buy it, but we're gonna try to word it carefully that people know, hey, this is not for us. We really encourage you to buy this. Sure. To support all the musicians that really need this. It's such a um, wonderful thing right now. Yeah, yeah, and I, th I think I think we'll, I hope that we raise some significant money. I think you will. Thanks for sharing all that. It's people are going to really love the music when they get a chance to hear it. Maybe to to wrap up our conversation here, I'd love to have you talk a little bit about the ballad of Fred Hirsch. Um, and just as a side note, you know, Fred, you always have an amazing body of work and content out there. So uh, I think people are going to who haven't actually even heard of the ballad of Fred Hirsch will be amazed when you start to talk about this. This, is, this exists and they need to check it out. Yeah, um, well, you know, I've been very blessed in my life to have a lot of luck and happy coincidences. I've also had some very difficult times. <clears throat> All through 2008, I was very, very ill um, with uh, AIDS-related dementia. And then this entire summer of 2008, two months, I was in a coma. Um, and then it was a long recovery back, uh, not till the next February, uh, did I, was I able to even eat anything? I had a feeding tube. It was a very challenging time. And, um, I remembered a series of, of dreams, uh, when I woke up from the coma that I remembered very precisely and eventually wrote them down. And, and I talked to my good friend, Herschel Garfine, who's a librettist and director and very smart theatrical guy. I said, I want to do something with these dreams. And he came up with this idea of the piece that became My Coma Dreams, which tells the story of these dreams in a narrative form with very intense video content 
an ensemble of 12 musicians and an actor singer who plays both me and my partner Scott and my doctor and many other characters. Very, we call it jazz theater because it's not a musical, it's not an opera, it's not, you know, it's, it's kind of its own thing. <clears throat> anyway, um, around that time, I was the subject of a New York Times Magazine feature by the writer, writer David Haydu. And I was on my way to California to play at the Monterey Jazz Festival. It was a very early morning flight out of JFK. I was in a window seat. The plane was packed. There was a guy next to me. This is 2010, maybe, 9, 10, uh, sitting next to me, and he had an iPad. And I had been thinking about getting an iPad. I said, excuse me, I'm just, uh, you know, can you just tell me more about the iPad? I'm thinking about getting one. Anyway, one thing led to another, and he said, who are you? I said, well, I'm going to play at the Monterey Jazz Festival, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I fell asleep, which I always do. Plane takes off, fell asleep. And I woke up somewhere over the middle of the country, and this fellow, Don Loeb, had Googled me. And the first thing that came up was this New York Times feature. And he said, uh, my wife's a documentary filmmaker, uh, she's been nominated for an Oscar. I think she would be interested in your story. Wow. I said, sure, you know, why not? I mean, what do I have to lose? Anyway, short story, within six weeks, Char uh, Charlotte Lagarde, who was her filmmaking partner, and Carrie Lozano, who was Don's wife, they began filming because we were in the process of rehearsing my coma dreams for a production that may. And um, at first the film was kind of gonna be about the making of my coma dreams. That was sort of, because it was very visually interesting and a compelling story. Uh, but as it went on and on, Char Charlotte and Carrie discovered really it was just a music film. It was a, you know, uh, a music documentary, not just a documentary about this theater piece, and more about my life. And <clears throat> uh, they filmed me in numerous locations in my hometown of Cincinnati, on gigs, they talked to all kinds of people. Uh, it's not a typical music documentary. There are only a few talking heads, uh, the writer David Haydu, uh, the pianist composer Jason Moran, uh, they're just not a lot of talking heads. A lot of it is my voice. Uh, and uh, even my mom is in it. Uh, everybody loves my mom in the film. And uh, <clears throat> anyway, it, it came out, The Ballad of Fred Hirsch. It played at some major film festivals. Um, and it existed on Vimeo uh, with a paywall for many years. Uh, Charlotte and Carrie, of course, it was a labor of love, but they wanted to get a few bucks back. It showed at some jazz festivals where I played at and I would, you know, talk about the film anyway, uh, in film festivals. Anyway, they, they took down the paywall when the pandemic hit. They said, look, we just want to put this out in the world. So I put it out uh, on my Facebook page. You can find it. It's an 85 minute film. <clears throat> and, you know, it was, I think they told my story uh, in their own way, but really quite beautifully. Uh, um, 
And around the time that that came out, I also released a memoir, Good Things Happen Slowly, A Life In and Out of Jazz. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting to, to see two people tell your story and then you get a chance also to tell your story in your own words. So, uh, you know, it's a little trippy to have a film made about you and look at yourself uh, and say, oh, I looked a little fat that day or I should, have, I should have shaved or something. But I really went into it with no vanity and I just trusted them. They're the most lovely people and they're very fine filmmakers. These are not just, you know, people just running around with a camera. These are people that really are filmmakers. And people can watch it now, just to be clear. Uh, they can Google it on YouTube, right? Uh, they can Google it on YouTube, yep. It's also posted on my, yeah, yeah, The Ballad of Fred Hirsch. It's also, if there's a link on my Facebook page, but yeah, it's, it's now out there. And uh, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really happy that it is. Um, you know, now it's, you know, it's pushing, well, since it came out about eight years, seven years. So obviously my life has changed between now and then, but I think it's a great snapshot. And there is some great footage of the development of, of the My Coma Dreams piece. Um, and by the way, we're going to be putting My Coma Dreams uh, up uh, for general viewing uh, on uh, YouTube and on my Facebook page sometime uh, in June. Right. So that will be also available if people want to see the piece that they talk about in the film or that they uh, film the development of that piece. That's so, great. yeah, it's, uh, you know, I've been so blessed to work with such talented, wonderful people. Yeah. Well, this might be a good stopping point for us. I think we covered a, a good amount of stuff and I wanted people to hear from you what you're doing, whether it's, whether it's this exciting new project with Esperanza, The Ballad of Fred Hirsch, My Coma Dreams, I wanted people to know there's, you're doing so much right now. Um, even though you may feel you are isolated, there's oh, a lot going on. One more thing. Uh, yes, please. I've been uh, releasing a series uh, of Spotify singles. Yes, thanks for bringing that up. These are called from, mostly from my performances at the Jazz Standard of these duos uh, over the years. Uh, we released, I released the first one with uh, Miguel Zenon the great alto player. I released one with Sarah Gazarek, who's a wonderful West Coast singer. Uh, and that was filmed at the Mondavi Center at UC Davis, recorded there. I released one with uh, Sullivan Fortner, a two piano uh, evening at the Jazz Standard. He's one of my protégés and one of the great young pianists of our era. Uh, I just released one with Anat Cohen, uh, also from the Standard. And then the next one, which is coming in a week or two, is with the French pianist Benoit Delbecq, which we recorded in Berlin uh, uh, last year. And uh, it's a really haunting take on Ornette Coleman's uh, beautiful lo Lonely Woman. So a two piano thing. And then I'm gonna continue to put those out every you know few weeks, just put out another Spotify single and uh, it's fun to go back and listen to everything and try to find takes that I want to put out there. And who knows, maybe eventually it becomes an album. So we will have five out uh, within the next, uh, the, la the fifth will come out very soon. So yeah, I'm just 
using this time to just try to put things out I feel feel good about and uh, stay active and stay present. Yeah, thanks for bringing up the Spotify signals. I'm glad you covered that. Um, I don't think I had anything else. Are you good? I'm good. Yeah, it's really good to see you, Fred. Cheers. I'm drinking uh, watermelon grape seltzer water, uh, which, wow, look at that. You hold it up to the camera. It, it's, it's, a, it's like a replicator from Star Trek. Look at this. Oh, yeah, that's really cool. There we go. Um, and your iced coffee looks really delicious. I might have to go get myself one. Yes, it's a good summer beverage. Yeah. All right, Mike. We'll be seeing you soon. And, yes, uh, I hope so. Thank you so much, Fred. Thanks for having me. Okay. All right, be well. Yeah, take care. Bye. Bye.